0: Well, we're picking up on our series that actually we started during the summer. We took a little break for Advent. That was fun, wasn't it? I just, I love that season. And, and last week we had Sam minister to us a great word about what's so good about the good news. And, and now today we've chosen to be the first Sunday to get back into our series. And we'll do this all the way up to Easter. Hopefully we'll see how far we can get. I can't make any promises to you, but we're, we're going to start today in chapter 10. It's going to be a, a great story, a, a watershed moment in this wonderful story of redemption. The title I've chosen for the message today is Breaking Down the Wall of Separation. Breaking Down the Wall of Separation. The wall of separation has existed for a long time. In our of course, in our journey through Acts, that wall has existed uh, for s- even centuries. It was the wall that separated the Jew from Greeks and Gentiles. Now, you say, well, well who, who is a Gentile? Well, let me just start with a quick question here. How many of you have Jewish descent? Raise your hand. If, you're, I, I, if Bobby's here, I know. All the way in the back. One. Okay. Two. Two. All right. The rest of you are Gentiles. <laughs> all right world if if you're not Jewish you're Gentile all right it, it can actually the word nation can come from Gentile and if it just means that we're, we're not Jewish and if you're not a Jew you're a Gentile and this wall that existed for centuries in our story today is going to come down and it's a it's a great story because It's about you and me, because since this is a story about Gentiles, that includes us. And what happens in our story today greatly affects us. Now, you might ask, where did this wall come from? How did it ever exist? So we're going to have to go back a little bit before we get into your little insert today. We want to go back a little bit, just a little thumbnail sketch, historically, of the children of Israel. And we're going to pick it up in Genesis, the 12th chapter. It'll be on the screen for you so you can see it. And God has come to Abram, this is even before his name change, and given him a word. That little does he know that there's a promise going to be attached to his life that is going to affect generations. And we find it recorded for us here. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. and You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Incredible promise for this man who was up in years, and here God's telling him he's going to be a great nation. And I know he's probably trying to figure out how that's going to be, but when God makes a promise, it comes to pass. And we know as we follow through through the Old Testament, we find Abraham, and he has a son named Isaac, and we know all about Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons. Who were his two sons? Esau and Jacob, right? And Jacob will later change his name to Israel, and Jacob will have 12 sons, And those 12 sons will become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we follow their whole story throughout Genesis. And then we find ourselves, uh, Moses appears on the scene. And the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. And Moses comes and he's the deliverer. And at that moment, we've gone from the promise in Genesis to this moment. And now they number 2 million strong. Has God kept his promise? Beyond anything that Abraham could ever imagine, here they are, a great nation, just like God said. He's even promised them land, and we're going to see that as, of course, we know the children are freed from Egypt through Moses. He takes the point position, and they exit Egypt. We kind of saw that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Didn't Jesus do the same thing? You see, everything in the Old Testament points to one thing, and that is Jesus himself, and he too. Uh, would come out of Egypt, and so here are the children of Israel. We know the story well, and Moses delivers them out of Egypt, and then Moses, of course, he, he's, he's uh, leading the way. And three months pass, three months, and they're walking in the wilderness. And God speaks to Moses. He calls from a mountain. They're in Sinai, and God speaks to Moses and calls him and tells him, "Listen, I got a message. I want you to give to the children of." Israel. In fact, we call it one of the Mosaic covenants. And I'm going to put it on the screen for you. It's in Exodus 19. This is what God said to Moses. He said, I want you to go to the people. This is what I want you to say. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. What's happening here? God is establishing for himself a people. He is separating this group of people for his own purposes and plan. He calls them. Can you even imagine God saying this to you? Or have you ever had somebody say this to you? You're a treasured possession. I tried it out on my wife this week just to see how she would respond. It was positive. You are a treasured possession. It's true, isn't it? God, what's God saying to the children of Israel? They're special, right? They are. And God is separating them out. The word holy means to separate. He's even going to give them dietary laws. Why? We're going to see a little later the implications of that. But he wants them to be, to be different. So Joshua comes on the scene, Moses has died, and they go into the promised land. Just as God had promised, they crossed over, we know that whole story. And yet we know all through this journey, the children of Israel seem to have a problem with obedience. You say, well, man, I thought they were special. Well, they are, and they understand they have a special place with God, but they're just like us, and their heart sometimes has a tendency to drift, and they became rebellious, and and we know what happened is God uh, took them to the woodshed. How many of you know that the discipline of God is a discipline of love? Yeah, Hebrews 12 says that God chastens those whom he loves. Anybody ever here been disciplined by God? It it means, my mama used to say this to me. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't. My mother's favorite instrument of punishment was a hairbrush. I don't know, your, your mom probably had a paddle or something. My mom had a hairbrush. When the hairbrush came, and I remember she used to say, this hurts me more than it's going to hurt you. He used to take, well, let's trade places then, all right? Well, you know, no. But I understood as I got older what she meant, and it was because she loved me, she disciplined me. And, that, and God's the same way. Is he a good father? These are his children. He's chosen them. They're precious. They're special to him. And discipline is, is part of his love language to them. And so we know what happens. How do, what's the woodshed look like? It's called 70 years in Babylon. God allows them, even orchestrates, I think to some degree, the children of Israel going in exile for 70 years. And I don't, I don't know what they thought, but they probably could have thought, well, maybe God's done with us. I mean, we've, we kind of deserve it, you know, the way we've responded to God, but that's not God's heart at all. In fact, I'll put it on the screen for you. You probably have this framed at your house, don't you? But it's important to know the context, Jeremiah 29, 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How many of you have ever claimed that promise? How many of you have it in your house? You got it on the refrigerator. You got it framed real nice. Man, I just like the way that comes off my lips. How about you? Oh, I know the plans. But you got to understand the context of this promise is in 70 years, 70 years of captivity. Some people who heard these words will die before it happens. But God's heart all along, he had a big plan. We're part of the little plan God's got a plan to use the children of Israel. They are his chosen people. He has plans for them. Yes, they are going to be disciplined. Yes, they're going to go through some tough times. But God is going to fulfill his plan. And I, I draw great hope from that. Well, we know the children of Israel come out of the 70 years. And they have kind of what, what I call a partial restoration. They do come back to the land just like God said. But they seem to have, always have someone who's ruling over them all the time. There's someone occupying the land in which they live. And the time Jesus was born, who was occupying the land? It was the Romans, right? And they were living under the rule of of the Roman government. Roman soldiers were in the street. And here they were living in the promised land, but yet they were being occupied by others. It's in that time that Jesus comes, as we know, and he lives his life and he dies on the cross He's resurrected. Isn't that awesome? Resurrected. We know the story well. We're, we're going to start counting off the weeks till Easter, and we celebrate that. What a great, uh, what, what a great uh, thing to celebrate. Jesus is no longer dead, but he's alive. He re- and now he's going to ascend into heaven. And what's his last words? We're gonna, we, it's where we started with our study back in the summer. He's, and and listen, he spoke this to Jews, not to Gentiles. He's speaking to Jews, and he said in Acts 1-8, it's on the screen, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You have to understand that in the early days of the church, it was Jewish. There were no Gentiles. In fact, when they heard Jesus say that, and they were waving to Jesus as he left, you know, he, Jesus is leaving He spoke these words to us. Okay, we're going to stay. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And we're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I don't think they knew what that meant. Because what Jesus was telling them, this thing's going to get big. And it's going to go well beyond the the chosen people. This This is going to be for all people. He was saying that the wall of separation, which is still in play is gonna come down. And we're gonna see it in our text today. Things are about to change. The wall is coming down. Take out your insert and you can fill it in. We're gonna look at four breakthrough truths that we're gonna find in our scripture text today. Four, I, th- I call them wall busters. What's gonna bring this wall down? Here, here's, here's a wall smashing truth. This, this peace, peace has come. Now, I didn't know this until somebody pointed out to me. These are all peace. It wasn't on purpose, it must be in my DNA. Didn't even know it. It was by accident, okay? Peace has has come. Now, we just finished Christmas, right? Oh, yes. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's what Christmas is really all about, isn't it? And when that peace came, and we're going to read about it, and Paul wrote about it, some, most of you know that familiar foundational scripture that Paul wrote to the early church? Yeah? We're saved by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? We're not saved by works. We're saved for works, for the workmanship of God, which was created from the foundations of the earth. And, then, and if you keep reading in that scripture, he goes on because he's talking to a Gentile audience and he wants them to remember something. After he spoke that foundational truth that we all know, man, that's, that's bedrock for us. He says to this Gentile audience, I want you to remember something. That you, the uncircumcised, you were called the uncircumcised by the circumcised. He begins to identify for them this wall that's coming down. He reminds them. He says, remember, at the time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. And you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. And then he speaks these words. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, he's talking about you and me, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the divining wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. To help you get the image of this, I've got a picture to put up on the screen. This is the temple in the day. And if you were a Gentile, you would be allowed, see that border there? The court of the Gentiles, that's as far as you could go. Up into the same, for centuries, there was this separation. Jew and Gentile. And you knew as a Gentile, you were second class. And Jesus has now come, and he's declaring that this wall of separation is coming down. And it has great implication for us today. Let's keep reading. I'm going to put it on the screen for you in Ephesians 2. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Keep reading, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers and fellow citizens with God's people. You are also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Old and New Testament, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So this is the mission, this is the plan, it affects you and me, it's the only reason we're here today. If this hadn't happened, we wouldn't be sitting in this sanctuary, because we're Gentiles. And God had a plan, and he was coming to tear down the wall. They saw glimpses of it throughout the Old Testament, but now, today, in our text, it's a watershed moment, because the dam's getting ready to break, and I want you to just pick it up with me. Here's our first point. God is doing in our story today what he continues to do today. What he did yesterday, he's doing today. It is, one, two, to position and prepare hearts to hear the message. God's God's peace and grace has come through the cross. And now I want you to know, even today, it's true in our story today, but it's true that God is preparing hearts to hear the message. Listen, we serve the God of the first move. God makes the first move, and we respond. I want you to pick it up. We're going to be in chapter 10. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. This is an incredible story as it takes place. Let's pick it up at verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, called him by name. I want you to notice something here in this text, very important. Cornelius was a good guy. I mean, any of you do that list? Are you, yeah, you pray, you give to the poor, right? Do all that, yeah. There's something very important in this story. Even though Cornelius was a right standing, he needed something. He needed what you and I need. He needed Jesus. You can do all these outward things and be lost. You can go to church. You can give in the offering. You can take care of the homeless. You can do all the things that he, he even prayed to God. He, did, he could check off his list. But there's something he's missing, and God knows it. Look at verse 4. Keep reading with me. Cornelius stared at the angel in fear, of course. What is it, Lord? He says. The angel answered. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. I want you to know God's got your address. He knows everything about you. He knows where you live. There's something else interesting in this story. Does something jump out at you there? Where was Peter? He was in a place called Joppa. God is preparing these hearts to receive a message from Peter, and he's sending them to Joppa. Does that remind you of another story? It's in the book of Jonah. How many of you remember Jonah? God speaks to Jonah in chapter 1, the book of Jonah. He tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But what does Jonah do? You don't know the story. in Sunday school, right? He's on the run. He's no. And Jonah arose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. That's kind of comical, isn't it? How do you hide from the presence of the Lord? He must not have understood, did he? You can't hide from God. So he runs. Where did he go? He went down to Joppa. He went to Joppa. That's where these guys are going. He went to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare and went down into it and to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why did Jonah do that? I mean, these these were not people Jonah liked. In fact, he was probably very highly prejudiced against them. And besides, wouldn't you like to go and judge the people that you don't like? Yeah, I'm gonna go speak judgment to them. No, there's something Jonah knew. The reason he didn't go, he shares with us later in the scripture when God finally, he gets eaten by a fish, you know, gets spit up on the, you know, he ends up fulfilling what God wanted him to do under duress. And, he's, and then he tells God why he didn't want to do it. He said, it, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord. He said, oh, Lord, was not, I, was not this what I said when I was still in the country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. You know what Jonah knew? If I go and preach to these people... God's going to help them. Yeah, God's going to save them. God, they're going to repent and get right with God. I don't want that to happen. And so he runs and he goes to Joppa. Isn't it fascinating that now God is returning to Joppa and Peter's there except he's not going to be a Jonah. He's not going to be a Jonah, is he? No. Keep reading verse 7 and 9. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. This is amazing. As they're approaching Peter's house, God is beginning to speak to Peter. He's not only preparing the hearts of those to hear, but here's our third point. He's preparing hearts to go. He's preparing hearts to He's positioning and preparing hearts to go. I want you to know as you're ministering to people, God's doing the preparation. You're not. You think it's you, but it's not you. You're just showing up and God's ordering your steps. He's got moving pieces everywhere that are going on. You know nothing about. What did it require for you to come to Christ? How many people were involved? What kind of things happened that you knew about? What did you not know about? How did God position you? People he brought into your life. You know my story, Major Froberg. How'd he show up? I was in an institution for boys. He happened to come to that. He, I even told him one day, I said, why'd you pick me out of 60 boys? You know, He said, well, you're the only one who spit on me, right? <laughs> hey, was that all part of it too? Did God make me do that? What happened? I don't know. I just know God's showing up, and, and and Jonah figured it out pretty quick. You can't hide from God. He's preparing. He's preparing people's hearts right now for you, and he's preparing our hearts to be able to go and minister to others. I just have a question for you. Why, wouldn't it have been more efficient if just the angel told him? Why didn't the angel just tell him what Peter's going to tell him? I mean, he had his full attention, didn't he? And he'd listen to the angel. I think he'd believe anything the angel told him, wouldn't he? So why why are they, it seemed to be complicating this, or is it that God's intention all along is always to use people, and that's what he's doing, and there's always three parts. Remember, what are the three parts? There's God's part, my part, and your part. Always, everything. I don't care what you're talking about. God's always got a part. He's got the big part, But you have a part, too. And then there's other people. You're going to see that in this story. All these parts are circling and orbiting around this incredible story. Would you pick it up with me in verse 10? He became hungry. It's interesting. As they're coming up to the house, God's preparing Peter. Peter became hungry. While he was praying, he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth, by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then the voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. He's inviting him to a cookout. Only one problem. All those foods are unclean. And Peter's going to protest this. He's going to resist this a little bit, isn't he? (laughs) I call it pigs in a blanket. Because you can't eat pig, can't eat pork. God's saying, hey, you can now. What? i got a question for you. Why in the world did God ever make these dietary laws only to remove them later? I've, heard, I've read books. People think, well, you know, that was healthy. God was having a healthy lifestyle. And probably there's some truth to that. But I think there's a bigger reason. I think God did it just to make them different. I think God wanted them to be separate because he was saving these chosen people to bring the message someday to us. And, he, and so he separated them out. They, they looked different. They acted different. And, and, but now, now, everything's coming to fruition. And look at this. Keep reading. Verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter says. "Is he the, He's the apostle of no, isn't he? <laughs> this is the first time. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately, the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They're knocking at the gate. Wow. Do you see the three parts? Here, 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 Peter has lived his whole life. And now God is changing his paradigm. He's going to teach him something powerful, isn't he? In fact, Jesus already did this once in, in, it's not on the screen, but Mark 7. If you go read the chapter, Mark 7, Jesus is challenged one day by the Jewish people. Why are your disciples not keeping the Jewish tradition? There's a ceremonial cleansing you do before you eat, and your disciples, they're not doing it. And if you're good Jews, you should be doing this. Why are your disciples not doing this? And Jesus began, this is when the the crack in the wall started to form. And Jesus said to them in verse 15, there is nothing that enters a man from outside that can defile him. But the things that come out of him, those are the things that defile him. Jesus is going to go from outside to inside. This is all changing now. Everything was ceremonial outside. Even you see, even the things that, that Cornelius was doing, all outside, people could see it. Now Jesus is saying, yeah, but what I'm really after is on the inside. In fact, in Romans 14, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul later said this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. What's he saying? He said, we're moving from this ritualistic model to a heart model. I'm getting ready to change everything. And this wall that has separated you all this time, it's coming down. It's coming down. Let's read verse 18 through 21. They called out asking, If Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And Notice here, God doesn't give Peter all the scoop. He doesn't know why they have come. And even Cornelius doesn't. He just knows Peter's going to come and tell him something. Did you notice that God does that a lot with us? He doesn't give you everything? Because you wouldn't know what to do with it if he did. I want you to also notice here, Peter had to have this vision three times. Three times. Because that's Peter. Remember? Remember Peter, the, the disciple of no? No, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Yes, Peter, I've got to wash your feet or you won't have any part of me. It's Peter who said, when Jesus said he's going to go to the cross, nope, 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 Lord, you're not going to do that. God forbid. And Jesus said, Peter, you think I'm like a mere man. Get behind me, Satan, you know. And here he is again. No, no, he's putting up the resistance, you know. But God keeps speaking. And this is something three times, three times. So wasn't there another thing three times? Yeah. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? He denied him three times. Three times. You know what else I think? I think... <laughs> It's a confirmation. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, I got a word of the Lord for you? I got a word from God for you. I like that. I think that's I think that happens today. But I want you to know you have a responsibility to test it. Not every word that has been brought to me is a word from God. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Well, usually it's a confirmation. You're, Peter's going to have a confirmation here because his world's getting rocked and God's asking him to do something that doesn't fit his model. And, and is, this, is this the voice of God or is this something else? And, and so I, I think, does God still speak through dreams? Anybody? I, I, I have a rule of thumb, not a law, just something I go by. If I have a dream three times in a row and it's the same dream every time, I listen. I listen. One dream by itself, maybe not. But I listen. And when someone comes up to you, you have a responsibility to test that. You test that because he wants to confirm the word to you. Let's look at verse 22 and 23. The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all of the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And this is cool. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Don't just read over that. This would be unthinkable before this moment in time because he would become unclean if he took Gentiles into his home. He invited them to stay for dinner and stay at their house. What's going on here? It's a big change. It's a crack in the wall. Peter's heart is changing. His paradigm is shifting. And God's going to do that to you and me. Is there anybody you look down your nose at? Somebody that you wouldn't necessarily make the extra... I mean, he's going to go 30 miles to fulfill this. Hey, come to my house. It's not across the street. It's 30 miles. So to do this, Peter's having a major heart change. Do you know God wants to change your heart? He's, he's even going to change... Maybe you've been raised a certain way. You think a certain way. And God's coming and he's going to adjust and tweak and change you. He's going to speak words to you because he's got a mission. I want you to see the fourth wall buster. This is so important. The last wall, busting truth. No partiality or prejudice. No partiality. This is big. This is big. Pick it up at verse 24. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. By the way, who is Cornelius? He's a centurion. That means he's got 100 guys under him. He's a soldier. Well respected. Do you notice centurions get a, they're painted in positive ways throughout scripture. At the cross, other places. No, here he is. He's, He's a man of influence. So they arrive in Caesarea. Cornelius is expecting them. And he called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Some of your translators say he worshiped him. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man. While talking to him, Peter went inside. And found a large gathering of people. This is very important. Kind of little side points here. Don't worship people. It's okay to honor people. You say, I don't worship people. Are you sure? Are you sure? Be careful. Sometimes we hold people in such high esteem, it almost becomes idle. You you can worship people. He said, Don't do that. I'm just a man. We're just, hey, we're all equal here. Hey, but Pastor Joe, you, I remember somebody came to Connie one time and said, Must be nice to live with the pastor. I bet you have communion every day in your home, don't you? And I'll never forget what she said. I overheard it. I was like, ah, ah. At first, I was like, What? She said, When you see him in the pulpit on Sunday, that's the best he gets. It's all downhill from that. I'm just a mere man like you. I have temptations just like you. I struggle like you do. Yeah, I'm the pastor, but it doesn't make, it doesn't elevate me. Stop elevating people. The ground is equal at the cross. And, And let's be honest. Come on. Wouldn't you have liked it just a little bit? I mean, don't you like to be appreciated? But somebody to bow down? Have you ever heard somebody say to you, man, if it wasn't for you, I don't know where I'd be? Kind of feeds your ego a little bit, doesn't it? Come on, you all got one, don't you? Am I the only one? I got an ego. I want people to like me. I don't want people to be mad at me. comes with the territory, but, you know, I don't like it. I don't like it. We're just mere men. That's what Peter's saying. And and look, Peter went. Now, he not only invited him in his house, now he goes to the next level. I'm going to go to your house. What? This would never have happened. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. What? I thought he was just going to go see Cornelius. Listen, when you're ministering to people, it's like dominoes. And people are connected to people. You, You just never know. You minister to one person, they're going to minister to another person. That's how it works. And God's preparing all this. Look at verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware. That is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. What I'm doing here is totally out of the norm. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Yeah, not true. May I ask? Hey, he's human. He's human. Okay. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered Three days ago, I was in my house praying. At this hour, at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man, shining clothes, stood before me. Well, keep reading, verse thirty-one. And he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. He's remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. Has God a God of details? So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Man, what preacher would not want that opportunity? Huh? We're all here. Do you come that way on Sunday? We're here. Tell us. What has God spoken to you? I'm here to hear. Man, glory to God. They were ready. God had prepared them. <laughs> and, but, but Peter had to take that step, they had the three parts. He he, he had to believe what God was saying was true because this was totally, totally out of his wheelhouse. And so my question to you is, what's out of your wheelhouse? What home will you not go to? Who are you looking down your nose at? Well, that guy, he's got tattoos. And ring piercings? Oh. Their skin color. I was raised a certain way. Some of you were raised to be prejudiced. You were brought up in that environment. Poor, rich, standing in, in the community. All these things, they're walls that God is tearing down. Do you, do you understand that? And your sphere of influence, wherever it is, Cornelius had a great sphere of influence and he used it for the kingdom. What's yours? What's yours? And sometimes you'll be just showing up, ministering, you'll never know the influence. Connie, Connie and I, Spoke at a brunch yesterday at another church. And it was a great time. a great time of fellowship. But a lady came up to us. This is the second time this has happened to me in a week. She said, I hate this. You probably don't remember me. (laughs) Man, preachers hate this. Oh, I know I'm supposed to know you. I'm sorry. Maybe they'll use her name. Connie, do you know who this is? No, I don't know who it is. She said, I don't expect you to remember me. But she said, back in the 80s, I was an addict. I was in a really bad way. And you took me with two other people to Teen Challenge in Nebraska. And I remember you loaded me in a van and you drove me up there. And it changed my life. And now I just want you to know, I have a ministry here among addicts. That's because you took me in the van. He drove me in the van. See, you don't know why you're doing stuff. You don't know why you show up. You just show up. Peter didn't know. Cornelius didn't even know. He just showed up. God's got the biggest part. But we need to respond as God makes that move. Verse 34 and 35 on the screen. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts favoritism. From every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. What makes people to, acceptable to God? It is Christ. Christ alone. Now this blessing goes well beyond the Jews, And you're a benefactor. Salvation is for all. Are you getting the message? No one is out of reach. And listen to me, church. And I say it strongly. You should have no part whatsoever in anything that involves racism or prejud- prejudicial spirits. Now, I don't care what format it is. And I'm not, I don't care what color you're talking about. I don't care what financial position. If you, you, there is no place in the church of Jesus Christ for us to show favoritism, to, to be racist, to show prejudice. I'll never forget the day And I don't know how you were raised. But you know my credentials are with the Assemblies of God. And I didn't know all the history of the Assemblies of God. But I went to a conference one. I'll never forget it. Because I was shocked to find out that when the Assemblies of God was first birthed, it was divided on racial lines. And the African-American Pentecostal, charismatic, participants had to start their own denomination and the assembly of God started the white denomination. That grieves me. But what was really awesome was about, I think it was about 20 years ago, we went to Springfield and we had a big gathering and these two denominations came together. And the superintendent of the Assembly of God got down on his knees and begged forgiveness. You can't go back and fix a lot of that. And the church has a dark history when it comes to racism. But I'm here to tell you today, it has no place. And the Church of Jesus Christ is the answer, I believe. Because these, it is easier to build a wall than it is a bridge. How many of you are a little bit irritated about not being able to go down 13th Street because the bridge is being rebuilt? (laughs) It's messed up my routine. And that wouldn't be so bad. But they said it's going to take a year. I think, my God, how long does it take to build a bridge? (laughs) Bridges take longer to build than walls. You can build a wall overnight. But a bridge... And I want them to take their time. How about you? Because I want to be able to drive over that someday and feel like it's safe, right? I believe God is calling you to be a bridge. To be a bridge. Not a wall builder, but a bridge builder. The church is the answer. When the church came on the scene, you don't understand how significant it was. For Jew and Gentile, rich, poor, slave, free, women, Men, they all came together. It was a total paradigm change. And Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And I want to encourage you today, because we don't have a real great history of it, it's time to stop building walls. What is your wall? Who are you looking down your nose at? Who are you unwilling to reach out to? And I'm not, I know history has a lot to do with this some of you were raised in difficult situations and it was drilled into you to think a certain way well so was peter but god can change your heart and the way you think and he's saying to us today don't call unclean what i have cleaned in deuteronomy 10 17 it'll be on the screen For the Lord your God is a God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Has anybody ever said to you, Christianity is an American religion. Anybody ever say that to you? It's not true. If you ever say, well, it's a white religion. Farthest thing from the truth. It's not true. It's not that at all. This, the church of Jesus Christ is described best for us in Revelation 7, 9. Write it down. Look at it later. I'm going to read it from the NLT. I like the way it says it. But John saw this vision in heaven. He said, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes. And they held palm branches in their hands. What's happening in Acts 10 is the beginning of that right there. And this is God's heart and it always has been. All through the Old Testament, you see peaks of it where God, God is ministering to Gentiles. We even see it in the first part of Acts. The eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was a Gentile. But now, now, Katie bar the door. Because the dam is about to break. And what Paul said in the book of Ephesians is true for you and me. We are one. Our true unity is in Christ alone. It's not in the color of our skin. It's not in our political position. Hello. Sorry. Although I want you to agree with me politically. I do. If you want to be right, you need... No. (laughs) But my relationship with you is not based on your political position love to talk to you about it, but it's not the basis of it. My relationship with you is not based on your position in culture or your standing in the community. Jesus came. He is the Prince of Peace, and through the cross, we have all been one. And so in that spirit today, we're going to come to the table. And I want you to think about 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said it. He understood it well, didn't he? For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but is many, it is many. Jesus did this, and we're gonna to celebrate today, okay? We're gonna to celebrate today. And I don't know what the implication is for you. I don't know what the application is. I mean, I believe God will lead you in your own personal life. What's your one thing today? I don't know, what God spoke to you, but I believe this could be a life-changing thing. Peter's life was turned upside down by this encounter. Remember, and I don't care what kind of wall you're talking about, these truths will, will, I believe, will bust down your wall. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He has made peace through the cross and through his blood. That's what makes it possible. You've been forgiven, so now you can forgive others. You've received mercy, so now you can be merciful. You've been redeemed, so now you can be redemptive. Do you understand what's happening here? it's all through Christ he made that and my views are different I don't care how you were raised I don't care what's been done to you God could change your heart if God could do that to Peter stubborn old Peter I could understand one of the others but not Peter Peter he'd be the hardest nut to crack God took him because he knew he would be key And, and you're no different and God wants to do to you what he did to Peter and he is prepared I want you to know people are counting on us the soil's being prepared. People's hearts are being prepared. That lady, I had no idea. You're going to minister to people and you won't know you did it. You're just going to be fruit in your ministry and you won't know till you get to heaven. I'm grateful for the brunch yesterday or I would have never known that. But I would have found out eventually, just not now. I I've I've met somebody in the emergency room last week. <laughs> I mean, I, your life is important and, and it's significant. And if you'll let God order your steps... I believe He's preparing people. He's brought peace into your life. He's preparing people to hear. He's preparing you to go. And He's removing all prejudice. He's he's removing all that from our lives. Some of you need to confess and repent. And God will help you. I believe that. He's going to help you. Because if He's a God who does not show partiality, and I am His Son... I will be a partaker of his nature Amen Father as we prepare today to come to the table we're reminded of what's been done for us and how we have been positioned in this great place of freedom and love and grace and mercy And Lord I pray today for each and every one of us that you will change our hearts and move us and open us and Lord that we, we, can, we can repent of the past we can let go that's the past what matters is what's happening now what you want to do you're going to take us I think there are people here that are going to be called to uncomfortable places where they wouldn't have normally went they're going to cross thresholds like Peter did into homes that they would have never went into because we are ambassadors of Christ and we are bringing the message of peace and reconciliation Lord I pray for each one of us individually myself I prayed this week on my porch Lord tear down the walls tear them down Lord tear them down don't let them stand stand. Lord, bring the bridges into our lives and connect us with people around us. Our time is short here, but you have chosen us for this time. We love you and we love each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray this morning you will restore to us the joy of our salvation. That you will remind us as Paul reminded the early church of what we used to be but now who we are in Christ Lord may we accept nothing less than your perfect work for you have come to bring peace, the ministry of reconciliation has been put in play and we carry that ministry today I pray you would begin in each of our hearts, Lord begin to change us the way we think, the paradigms we've possessed for maybe they've been given to us generationally. Lord, we lay all that at the cross today. We pray now that we could take this message of unity and peace through Christ to the world. There are people you have prepared their hearts to receive it. Would you prepare us to go and to share? Lord, we love you. and We love each other. And we celebrate this great gift your love and forgiveness. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to remind you next week to read ahead. Finish chapter 10. Come prepared. And, and listen, let God speak to you before I speak to you, okay? And In fact, if you want to, you can text me this week and say, hey, I saw this in that scripture. I saw this. You might be in my sermon next week. Go ahead. Share it with me. I love hearing what God is showing you, and we will look at this. Listen, you know what's going to happen next week? You remember Pentecost? Remember that? That was Jewish Pentecost. Did you know that? It was all Jews. Guess what's going to happen next week? The Gentile Pentecost is coming. Yeah, kind of out of order, even. Ooh, ooh, God loves messing with us, doesn't he? He messes with the order. <laughs> and then they're going to baptize them. So I thought, how appropriate. Not my plan. He must have been God's. We're going to have baptism next week. At the end of the message, we're going to do what they did. And we're going to, you're going to get to witness people being baptized just like they did in the early church. All made possible because of what Christ has done in our lives. If, if you've never been baptized, come see me. We'd love to talk to you. Maybe you can experience You're, you're going to hear some great testimonies next week. We're just going to have a good time. I love coming to church, don't you? And I love to hear the stories. So I just want to encourage you. Read ahead, be prepared, and we'll just we'll finish the chapter, and then we'll be moving on to chapter 11, all right? Are you ready for that? If you're here today and you need prayer, if you took communion for the first time, come up here. I want to talk to you. I want to pray with you. If you need prayer in your life, I don't know. You, what's going on? some things nobody knows about but you? He said, man, I'm carrying a heavy burden today. Well, that's the body of Christ God gave us to each other as a gift. We'd love to carry that burden with you. If you come and share that with us, love to pray with you. You need healing in your body, we'll anoint you with oil. Just come. I've asked Steve and Melissa to come this morning. They're going to be up here to pray. Father, I pray your blessing upon my brothers and sisters. I love them with all my heart. Lord, i laid my life down for them. They have been a great blessing to me. And I pray I can be a blessing to them. That's the way you meant it. All races, all tongues, all nations, Lord, we're all one in you. We celebrate that today. And that's how the world will know that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Go in God's love, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.